Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. I'm just going to read again this passage that we're working our way through over these weeks from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through to 20. <clears throat> if you've got your Bible with you, please do follow along, or if you just want to listen to it, that's okay too. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly. As I should, I'm just reading this and thinking, he just keeps saying, pray. Anybody fancy praying? Great, see you on Friday. (laughs) You can pray all week. But come and join us on Friday and pray for this church, your church. As we worship and pray, come and join us. Pray, pray, the Bible keeps saying it. In addition, Ephesians 6, 16, in addition to all this, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We've said Paul's drawing from this picture of a Roman soldier. A Roman soldier probably had two shields, a smaller shield and a larger one. He's referring most likely to the larger one. The larger shield would be about four feet in height and two feet in width. It was like walking with a door in front of you. As you marched forward. This incredible defense. It was made out of wood. But it had a metal lining on the front of it. Which was fireproof. This was so that when the enemy threw the flaming arrows or flaming darts. They would be extinguished. What are the flaming arrows or flaming darts? uh, Some translations say of the enemy. This would be a piece of wood sharpened to a point. Or a piece of metal sharpened to a point. And tied to that would be a piece of material that was soaked in a flammable substance. And then fastened to the arrow or the dart. And these would be fired as part of an immense attack on an army. It wouldn't be one dart. We're not talking like a sniper taking one person out as a marksman. We're talking like a massive attack. An absolute volley of these arrows coming flying at the same time at the foe. The plan was that they would position themselves in all kinds of directions around the advancing army and flaming arrows would be coming firing at you from your left, 
from your right, ahead of you, behind you, from all kinds of angles. The aim was to completely disorientate and confuse you. And then attack. Have you ever felt like that? There's just stuff coming from all directions. When I'm defending on the right, it comes from the left. I turn to the left, it's from behind me. I feel surrounded by these things that are hitting me. And here's the thing, that's not the attack. That's just to disorientate you so that the attack can come. And Paul says the answer is faith. As followers of Jesus, we have an enemy. Forces of evil are against us. We have the world, the flesh and the devil. The world is a a godless system that operates as if there's no God. The flesh is the sinful nature that each of us has that's at a bias towards evil. We never need to learn to be naughty. We just get it. And the devil, there is an actual devil and there are forces of evil that attack us. And our job is not to be fascinated with any one of those three enemies. Our job is to be fascinated with Jesus, but to know the enemy. And know how to defend against him and his forces. So the enemy might launch a barrage of flaming arrows that seem to come at you from all directions, leaving you disorientated and confused and weakened. And then... And then When you feel like that is when the temptation comes. Well, seeing as you're feeling like this, why don't you just give up? Why don't you just give in? Why don't you just, you fill in the blank? Whatever the thing is, the enemy weakens and then attacks. We have a good God and a bad devil. He aims to, to, to fire fear, discouragement, etc. To do the maximum damage to us, our family, the church and the mission of God. And the Bible says the answer is the shield of faith. What is faith? Faith is a gift from God. Ephesians 2.8 For it is by grace you are saved through faith and this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God. Now please don't make this mistake. Faith does not save you. And faith does not cause miracles to happen. Faith does not save you. And faith does not cause miracles to happen. Jesus saves you. And Jesus causes miracles to happen. Faith is the means by which we access the grace that's available to us in Jesus. So we're not even fascinated by faith. It's who the faith is in that counts. Faith in Jesus. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not positivity. Faith is not talking yourself into something or being Christian superstitious where we can't say bad things because we think we're going to put a jinx on ourselves. That's not faith. Faith is a gift from God that allows us to access the grace of God that releases the power of Jesus into our lives. 
And it's wonderful. And it's a gift. So you can have it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. God's not waiting for you to get to a certain standard. He says, it's yours. In fact, if you're in the family of God, you must have it. It's not the amount of faith you have. It's who that faith is in that counts. We cannot have faith for anything that God has not said. I can't have faith that Everton will win the Champions League one day. God's not said it. Please, God, say it. (laughs) I can't have faith for things that Jesus hasn't said. Because faith is based on the word of God. So you can only have faith for what God says. The Bible says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ, Romans ten seventeen, And Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What does that mean? It means if you don't know what God's saying, you can't have faith for it. And if you can't have faith for what God has for you, that's destructive. So it's vital that we know what God says in the scriptures and what God is saying to us prophetically that line up with scripture. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. The foundation for faith is the word of God. It's faith in what Jesus is saying to us. It's vital that we read and know the Bible. You will not get to know the Bible by osmosis. Having a Bible in your room and on your phone will not cause you to know it. You've still got to read it or listen to it. Now, those, those shields, those four foot by two foot shields, had like a groove that they could be interlinked. And so a Roman formed, there was a Roman formation called a tortoise. And what would happen is they would link shields. A, 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 a battalion would link shields. And you would form a shell in front and over the top. People who felt weaker could go to the middle. And you could, a shield wasn't just defensive. You could take ground with your shield. You just keep walking forward. You're all linked in. You're all linked over. It's like the shell. You're in, it's like batfink. <laughs> My wings are like a shield of steel. <laughs> Certain generation got that. Another one. <laughs> Nothing. There's no way through. The enemy loves to isolate people. I try and encourage people. I've I've invited people here this morning. Some have come, some have not. I invite people to our missional community that we're a part of. Not because I'm trying to get the numbers up. But because it matters that we're together. The enemy wants nothing more than to get you alone. Because when you're alone, you're vulnerable. You could stand in the tortoise with all the shields like a shell and you can walk forward. Or you can think, hey, I've got a shield. I've got a shield. I'm all right on my own. 
Could you imagine walking into a battlefield with a tortoise of shells walking forward impenetrable and ones and twos scattered around the field on their own? Who is the enemy going to take out? It's the ones and twos. No wonder the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. Even when you get a better offer, even when there's something else on, even when it's inconvenient. Because this isn't attending a club, this is being in an army. And we're not fighting against people, we're fighting for them. So, we need faith in the saving work of Jesus. I want to read something to you. This, this, these Bible verses blow my mind. <laughs> Listen to this, Romans 3, 24 and 25. This is speaking about you and me. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood, through faith, to the demonstration, to demonstrate his righteousness. What is that saying? Because it's vital that you understand what that's saying. Faith in the saving work of Jesus extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Romans 3.25 uses this unusual word, propitiation. The same word is used in Hebrews 9.5. Do you know how that exact same word is translated in Romans 9.5? Mercy seat. It's the same word. Jesus is the mercy seat for us. What does that mean? There's a picture coming up of the, uh, this is a model of the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament. There should be some little labels that are going to appear on that at some point soon. Oh no, they're not the other side. Um, the mercy seat was a slab of gold that sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. You can read about the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus 25, 10 to 22. In the book of Exodus, God tells the Hebrew people how to build the tabernacle, which was their place of worship, and it pointed to Jesus. And when he starts, it's this huge tent with an outer court, then a holy place, then the Holy of Holies, and then the Ark of the Covenant. And it pictures drawing near to God. And the Ark of the Covenant symbolized the manifest presence of God amongst his people. And as you can see, the Ark of the Covenant was a box made of acacia wood and overlaid with gold. Inside of that box was kept a number of things. There was a little pot at one stage with some manna that the children of Israel collected, you know, they had the miraculous thing. There was Aaron's rod that budded, that was in there. And there was the law of God, a copy of the law of God. In the box. Above the box are these cherubim. And they symbolize that between the... You know like you read in Isaiah, there were these beings covered in wings and eyes that fly around. And they symbolize circling the presence of God. It's a picture of right there is the manifest presence of God. 
And between the manifest presence of God and the law of God is the mercy seat. That's made of solid gold. And once a year on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, a priest, the high priest, would go in and sacrifice a spotless lamb and would take the blood of the lamb into the holy place. They thought as he encountered God, he might die. So they would tie a rope around his ankle just in case because no one else could go in so they could drag the body out. That's how much they revered the manifest presence of God. And he would only go in once a year and he would sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant as a picture that one day the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus, would shed his blood so that the law of God would be fulfilled. That pictures the only way that God can look down at his law. When God looks at the law, what he's saying is this. The law is not given to help us get to God. The law is given to show us we can't get to God. I hope you understand that. The law is given to show you that you can't keep the law. That's why it's given. So when you read the commandments, you think, some people think, oh, well, I keep all of those. So Jesus pushes it a bit at the, at the, at the Sermon on the Mount. He says, oh, really, you keep them? I'm not just talking about the physical acts. I'm talking about the, think, the thinking. Do not murder means if you don't like somebody, it's like you've killed them and you're thinking, how are you doing now? Do not commit adultery. Yeah, absolutely. Physically don't do it, but also don't lust after other people. How are you doing now? And everybody's like, oh, we can't do it. Absolutely, you can't do it. So the point is, God's looking down at the law and he's angry that the the damage that sin is doing and there's a mercy seat. And the mercy seat deals with the wrath of God, keeps the law of God and is a place where the blood is sprinkled. And the New Testament says, that's what Jesus is. <laughs> He's the mercy seat. He keeps the law of God. He leads the presence of God. He deals with our sin. He is the propitiation. He is the wrath bearer. Now please don't misunderstand, it's not that God the Father's angry and Jesus is nicer and Jesus is saying, don't be so grumpy, let's love them. That's not it. It's God the Father's idea. God was in Christ, the Bible says, reconciling the world to himself. I find this really exciting. Do you know why I find this really exciting? Because I know how messed up I am. I know how much I need a saviour. I know if any of this depended on me, I'd be lost. (laughs) I have a a saviour. I have a saviour. It blows my mind. I don't earn it. I certainly don't deserve it. And I definitely have it. You'll be more excited than this when you see him. (laughs) 
seriously, you will be more excited than this. I love, I, I don't know who cheers a lot when we're worshipping, but please keep doing it and join in with, with them because it's great. It's faith in him that extinguishes the flaming arrows of the evil one. Therefore, Hebrews says, brothers and sisters, since we have this confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and with full assurance of faith. Hebrews 10, 1922. We can have absolute faith in the work of Jesus as a gift for our salvation. Please don't allow the cult cult of culture Our primary aim is not to be culturally relevant. Our primary aim is to know and love Jesus. Sometimes people get that. Some people don't get that. It's non-negotiable. Our primary aim is to be the people of Jesus. Don't allow the culture, the cult of culture or the idol of busyness rob you from standing in front of the manifest presence of God and saying, Jesus, you paid it all for me. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Our faith is in the fact that Jesus took our punishments. He is our mercy seat and we can enjoy God's nearness. I'm just going to use an example from Romans 4 to sum this up. Faith is a gift of God. It enables us to trust in the saving work of Jesus. Faith is the key to being victorious in our lives as disciples of Jesus. And in Romans 4, Paul uses the illustration of Abraham. (coughs) To give us an example of this faith. It says this, against, maybe you'd like to follow it in your Bible, it's Romans 4, 18 to 22, I'm going to read. Against all hope, Abraham in hope, believed And so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, not wavering through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but being strengthened in his faith, he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised This is why it says it was credited to him as righteousness. Some quick points. One, faith makes it possible for us to trust the word of God. It's it's secular. The word of God is the foundation of faith. And the word of God, faith makes it possible for us to believe the word of God. Abraham was about 100 years old and Sarah was 90. And God told them that they were going to have a son who is going to be uh, the source of a multitude of people being born. In fact, he says, go outside, have a look at the stars, count them. I can't count them. Well, if you could, you could count how many descendants you're going to have. Have a look at the sand on the sea, on the shore, count it. I can't count it. Well, that's how many descendants you're going to have. He's 100, she's 90, and they've got no kids. You're going to need faith for that one. When God says something, he makes available the faith to believe for it. Abraham did not ignore the difficulties. In fact, the Bible says he considered it. He faced the facts 
and he factored in God. That's faith. We're not living in a dream. We're not trying to convince ourselves of something. We're saying, this is a big problem. I've just got a bigger God. We're not living in unreality. So that's the first thing. The second thing, the word seed. So your seed. It talks about seeds, the multitude of descendants. But then he talks about a very specific one. Your seed, one. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So what does that mean? Galatians 3.16 tells us, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. God promised Abraham Jesus. God promised Abraham Jesus. He said, you will have a multitude of descendants, but there will be a particular descendant, a seed, the Lord Jesus. And Abraham looked forward in faith to Jesus, and that's what saved him. The only way to be saved is through Jesus. Whether you're in the Old Testament or the New It's Jesus. In the Old Testament, they're looking forward in faith to Jesus. We're in the privileged position of having a clearer view and looking back to Jesus. But it's only Jesus. The law can't save you. Your own righteousness can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And Jesus reiterates this in John 8.56. Speaking to the Jews, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. How did he see it? By faith. By faith. He looked forward by faith and was saved. There's only one way to be saved. Faith helps us to trust the character and the word of God even when we don't have all the details. Did Abraham have all the details of the incarnation and the miraculous ministry of Jesus and the death and resurrection? I don't think so. But he just knew that Jesus was coming and he was going to save and that's enough. The next point, very quickly. God's word is enough. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham simply had the word of God. He faced the facts that his body was beyond age and that Sarah couldn't have children and knew that God was going to have to do something possible. In fact, without God, the situation was hopeless. Have you ever reached that point? Are you quite close to it now? The flaming arrows of the evil one have landed, disorientated you, confused you. And then you look at that situation in your marriage or you look at that situation in your family or you look at that situation in your workplace or you look at that situation in your health or you look at that situation in your finances and you think this is hopeless. What does the Bible say? Against all hope, in hope, 
Abraham believed and so became. What was Tim's thing about the candle? It was the hope that reignited. Sometimes you look and you think, against all hope, there's no hope. All hope is against us. Then, in hope. Why? Because Jesus comes and he steps in. And when we believe the hope that Jesus gives when everything else, the hope's against us, we then become what God says we are. Against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed and so became. When there wasn't a trace of hope left, he believed in the hope that God set before him. He faced the facts and then factored in God. Who God is and what God says. And it goes on to say, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised, verse 21. He wasn't just intellectually convinced. Being intellectually convinced about God won't save you. Faith in God and his work, accessing his grace and the work of Jesus saves us. Hebrews Hebrews 11 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. It's like having a certificate of ownership. It's yours. You might not even have the thing that you own with you, but if you've got the certificate, you can prove it's yours. You've got the logbook, it's your car. Faith's the logbook. So when God said something to you, and you took it by faith, you might not have the car, I'm not physically talking about a car, it's an illustration. You might not have the thing God said he's going to give you on the drive yet, but you've got the logbook. It's yours. That's what faith is. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. Quickly, as I draw to a close. Faith leads to action. Genesis 17, Abraham has an encounter with God and those promises we've referred to about many descendants and descendants are given to him. And God, in that encounter, changes Abraham, Abraham and Sarai's name to Abraham and Sarah. Abraham means father of many. He's got no kids at this point. And Sarah, who's also childless, means princess, noble woman, princess of a multitude. <laughs> they start living like it's happened. What God said to them shaped what they become. Their names were different and they lived different. Hebrews 11 says of people who live by faith, including Abraham and Sarah, but not just them. They lived as strangers and pilgrims. Some received what was promised and some died still believing it would come and the promise was fulfilled in a way they didn't expect in the future. And that's okay with God. They were looking forward, not just to what God had promised them, but to being with God forever. And Hebrews eleven sixteen says, Therefore God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. Abraham had faith to believe. And yet it says this, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. He was strengthened in his faith. Just because you have some doubts doesn't mean you don't have faith. That's one of the flaming arrows of the evil one. He says, oh, well, you're doubting, you've not got faith. No, no, no. 
you can have lots of faith and still have quite a lot of doubts. What faith does is teach you how to answer the doubts so that they diminish. But the fact that you've got a few doubts doesn't mean you've not got faith. He was strengthened in his faith. He had faith, saving faith. But he needed to be strengthened in his faith. How are we strengthened in our faith? I'm drawing to a conclusion. One, make sure you know what God has said to you. Do you know what God has said to you? About your salvation, but also about the promises he's given to you. What are the promises? Two, spend time focusing on who God is more than the difficulties that seem so evident. Choose where your focus will be. Three, three. (laughs) Maths for beginners, three. (laughs) Three. Remember, God has been faithful in the past. What did Paul have us do? He said to us before we sang that last song, think about what God has done for you. Remember God's faithfulness to you. And then, four, share your life with other followers of Jesus who will encourage you to be people of faith, not people who will encourage you to be people of doubt, cynicism, scepticism, or people who will set the limits which are, this is what we've seen God do, so this is all that God can do. He is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So that's more than your experience or mine. Set the limits bigger. Push them out. Have people around you who will stir faith in you. I love the story of Joshua where he's taking over from Moses. (coughs) And God says to him, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. I mean, how do you feel when somebody says to you, now don't be terrified? I think... What do you mean? What have I got to be terrified for? Why are you telling me? There must be a reason to be terrified if you're telling me not to be Maybe that's just me. And then, and then Joshua hears all this and he speaks to the people, the Hebrew people. And I love it because what they say at the end of the chapter is they say, okay, Joshua, this is a paraphrase. Okay, Joshua, we'll do whatever you say. But then they say, only be strong and courageous. What do they do? They speak back to him what God had already said to him. Do you have people around you who will do that? They'll say, yeah, I'm with you. Only remember what God said to you. I'm not going to give you my best advice or my pearls of wisdom. I'm going to remind you what God said to you. Are you going to do that? Are we going to live that way? I'm going to close with a story then prayer. Some of you have heard this story, but it came to mind when I was preparing and I've learned to go with those when they do. I remember being a young man, I'd not been a Christian that long. When I came to faith in Jesus, my dad wasn't a Christian, my mum was a backslidden Christian, I didn't know she was a backslidden Christian, because I just didn't know she was a Christian. And my mum suffered at times from depression, and I came in one night, I'd been to a youth thing, it was a Saturday night, and I walked in, and my mum was sat in the front room of our house in the dark, which she would sometimes when she was quite low, just on her own in the dark. When the blinds open, we lived on a main road just watching the traffic go by I can see it now and I tried to encourage her and I would worked out I couldn't do it I'm, I'm 19 something like that at this stage 18 and I've been Christian long enough to know this the best thing I can do for her is pray so I go up to my bedroom and I begin to pray for Paul and I begin to pray for my dad and I begin to pray for my mum and I begin to say Jesus will you save them 
And, and do you know when you pray and you start off praying, but then God takes hold of you and you start praying with a passion that God's given you, it's not yours. And so I begin to say to God, I've never prayed like this before and I've rarely prayed like it since. I said to God, I'm not leaving this room until you tell me that you're going to save my mum, my dad and my brother. And then it dawned on me, I could be in here a long time. I could be in here a long time. I thought, let's just go with this. It feels right. I'm not saying that I'm, this isn't a formula. Don't do this. Do it if you sense God telling you to do it. So I pressed in. And I sense God said to me, I am going to save your mum, your dad, and your brother. And when you hear God speak to you, you begin to get a boldness. So I said to him, when? When are you going to do that, God? This, this, is over, this isn't like a 30-second conversation. This is a long call. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm kneeling in my bedroom. Secret history in God. It's not secret now because I'm telling you. Which I kind of wish I wasn't. I'd rather have some secrets in God. I'd rather have some secrets in God. I would, I'd rather impress him than you. I'd rather impress him than you. And I felt God say to me, in about a year, they'll all be Christians. So I think my work here is done. I can go downstairs, have a cup of tea and a biscuit, go to bed. And then God said to me, do you believe it? Yes, Lord. Yes, I believe it. He said, start telling people. I said, oh, I'm thinking, they'll think I'm mad. Start telling people. Before it happens, start telling people. The next morning, Steve Derbyshire, bless him, came to me He said, Darren, I've been thinking, have you got something you want to share with the church tonight? I'm 19 thinking, Steve, no. <laughs> I have nothing I want to share with anyone. I think you should give a testimony tonight. I go to the evening meeting, it's packed. I think, great. I said, I, I think, you've got, to, you've got to, you know, tone it down a bit here, thinking. I think God said to me, and I just told the story briefly, I just told you, in about a year, they're all going to be Christians. And I thought, at this point, this is where they throw me out. They hardly know me and they're just going to think I'm mad. You know, I'll send Alf and a few others, throw him out. They didn't. It was either Stephen or David Tinian said, right, let's pray for that then. Got the whole church to pray. The first one was Paul. Paul gave his life to Jesus. And then we had Eric Delve at the Mission to England, Down to Earth Mission. And I invited my mum and dad, please come and hear this guy. We're not coming to hear him. Please come and hear him. We're not coming to hear him. Why would I want to do a thing like that? Kept inviting them. And one Saturday, I just went for, please, please come. We're not coming. So I went and I'm sat near the, about the fourth, fifth row back because I'm going to talk to people who come forward. I didn't know, but they'd all come, all three of them. 
And Eric Delve said, if you want to know Jesus as your saviour, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up. I'm going to ask you to walk to the front now. And I saw my mum, my dad and my brother walk past me. I didn't even know they were there. To the front to give their lives to Jesus. And they were, Paul was already a Christian. They just couldn't believe him sat on his own. But they, they gave their lives to Jesus. And never looked back. Sometimes when it's faith, you've got to share it with someone who will encourage you in faith and not pour cold water on it. And I'm not talking wishful thinking. You've got to hear God. Then you've got to believe what he gives you. So that, that's it. I'm kind of done for now. Conclusion. Faith, the shield of faith. Know what God has done for you and who you are in Christ. Face the facts and factor God in. Listen to what God says and let that shape who you are. Be strengthened in your faith. We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.